Hello, everyone. Josh stepping in here from post-production land. Dan and I recorded this episode on Wednesday, January 11th, which was in the middle of the furor that is the focus of our discussion this week. Of course, between the time that we recorded it and the time that we released it, a bunch of stuff happened. Stuff happened, but honestly, from my estimation, not a whole lot changed, at least in terms of my perception of things and my perspective and my ultimate point. So keep that in mind as you listen to this episode, that there are things that happened after we recorded this, so obviously we couldn't address those. TLDR, a bunch of stuff happened that has a lot of people upset, and it is good for us to be kind and empathetic to the people that are affected and hurting from it. If that's all that you care about, you can probably skip this episode, but I think there's a lot of useful information and discussion otherwise. everyone, welcome back to the Earthon Survival Guide, the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters, with your questers Josh and Dan. I'm Dan. I am Josh. And on today's podcast, we'll be discussing all things quizzical and maybe licensical and nonsensical. Uh, so strap in, folks. We got a little, we got a fun one for you here today. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, and I'm pretty sure the, gen- the topic generating today will uh, generate some discussions so or questions. Please feel free to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. We have two emails to get to, and then a surprise topic that we didn't see coming. So, as I said, strap in in about 10 minutes. We'll see how this goes. First email. Uh, This one comes to us from Stefan, and it's for the podcast show. Uh, Email from St. Blessed from episode 144. The trip to Vasgothia didn't go so well. Got renamed by Josh. Joke. Sorry. Questions for the show. Promise oath in astral space. After completion... And using the option to keep the bonus, will it give characters one more bonus point or let the characters heal three points and keep the optional permanent blood magic damage to one point, blood magic damage, etc.? I'm not entirely sure what that question's asking. I'm not sure either. It sounds like it is talking about the blood promise, one of the one of the blood oaths that is in yeah. the player's guide. If you quickly take the other oaths, effects, and astral space, also in summary, I would really appreciate it. So, this is promise, oath, and astral space. So, he's probably talking about the blood promise. Ah. There is not, as far as I am aware, I don't know why doing it in astral space makes a difference. It wouldn't in any game that I'm running. Doing it in astral space as opposed to regular space, it would work the same way. I'm not sure where the idea that it would function differently in astral space is as opposed to doing it in regular space. We talked about the blood oaths a while back. I don't remember exactly what episode it was, but I think we did talk about them. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, I don't completely understand the premise of the question. If you think that for some reason the blood oaths, the blood promise should work differently in astral space. I'm not sure where you got that idea, but I don't think there should be any difference. Fair. Question two. Spirit motivation on summoning. The Scourge devastated astral space this time around, unlike the previous one, not making it great for spirits. The spirits use raw spellcasting for spells and will not spellcast without contest of will and don't have access to spell matrices since they were invented in the Scourge. So, they need to level up, and are spirits immune to all damage in all of astral space regions in general? So kind of two questions there. Yeah. Spirits deal with magic the same way that I would have horrors handle magic. That is, when you're talking about spells as beings of magical energy, I would not be inclined to have spirits take damage well i don't know i i would need to think about that just kind of dropping that on me like this Mm, i'm not sure it's certainly i could see the point either way that spirits could take damage from polluted astral space but i would also look at the spells a spirit casts as rather than spells in the way that 
adepts or magicians do them, that they are simply an expression of the spirit's magical abilities. It's just from a game mechanic standpoint, they're handled the same way as spells. I could make an argument either way for why they should or should not suffer the damage equivalent to raw magic casting in more polluted areas of astral space. I didn't look to see if there's anything actually in the rule books to indicate that. Nah, I think you're fine. So, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Fair enough. Hello, Josh dropping in here from the future. Well, post-recording anyway. I wanted to drop this in right here because it seemed the best place to do it. On pages 374 to 375 of the Earthdawn 4th Edition GM's Guide under Spells, it does say that the normal requirements for weaving threads apply, uh, and spirits use their spellcasting step as their thread weaving, but they do not need spell matrices or suffer negative effects from casting raw magic. So whatever my hypotheticals that were going through my brain at the initial recording, don't matter, spirits don't suffer the negative effects of raw magic. Back to the regular show. We will let that percolate in the back of your brain for the third question. Uh, optional, maybe for another show, and this is something that will also let Josh's uh, mind percolate on a little bit. Can you talk about the ever-living flower and the one that detects dragonkins that the Therans have? Can't think off the top of my head what the second one's name is. And thanks to all the listeners of the EDSG podcast out there. Happy New Year. Thanks for your time. Josh and Dan, St. Blessed. There's only one ever-living flower. Okay. It's the one that was recovered from the ruins of Parlanth and delivered to Alakia, and there isn't another one that the Therans have. One of the threads in Living Room Games Second Edition, which is based off of the original outline, right, has the motivation for Alakia sending the troops to attack the Triumph or to support the attack on the Triumph being that the ever-living flower was stolen and that by all indications, the Therans had it, that the Therans were responsible for its theft. And Alakia was sending the troops to kind of let them know that that was not cool. Mm -hmm. And supposedly that leading to the reveal in Portfolio of a Dragon, Dunkelzon Secrets, after uh, Dunkelzon died in Shadowrun, where one of the bequests in his will is, to Alakia, I leave the ever-living flower, I have no more use for it. The the timing of that, of course, with everything, was that that reveal happened before any of the Barsave at War stuff did, so it's kind of like, wait a minute, those of us mm-hmm. who knew what the ever-living flower was, how did Dunkelzon get it? Last we knew, Alakia had it at the palace... Yeah. What happened, and I think part of the the hook was to have it stolen by the dragons to manipulate Alakia into helping with the fight against the Therans by framing the Therans for its theft. Whether that is actually what happened or not, all that we sort of officially revealed in the history mm-hmm. chapter of the GM's Guide for 4th Edition is that... The elves were there and basically massacred those who were fleeing the Triumph after it fell to the Allied forces at that attack. Whether it was because of the Everliving Flower or some other reason, we did not explore that. Fair. Again, part of a way to allow some sense of continuity for people who might have played second edition stuff and want to keep that as part of their game's history but also leaving it open in case some other reason pops up or becomes worth investigating. But I am not aware of there being a second one that detects Dragonkin. I think the idea was that the Everliving Flower could detect Dragonkin, but I don't recall exactly where that information came from. Yeah. Again, as far as I'm aware, there is only the one flower. Sounds good for me. All right, this is a catch-up from Scott. Greetings, Josh and Dan. I am finally in the present. I reached episode 149 on December 9th on my way to work. And then when I, fl- when I headed home, it finished the episode and didn't go on to the next episode. What the frick? I fiddled with it at the stoplight until I realized that I had reached the end. The long trek through the archive episodes of the Earth Dawn Survival Guide was over. That realization hit me like a troll holding a brick. What will I do now? This is all I have listened to for months, and I felt lost and alone. 
I listen to Sirius XM, still playing the same old stuff on First Wave. I listen to Hidden Brain, cool, meh. Nothing else brought me joy like my favorite EDSG podcast meandering through my favorite RPG material. I'm considering starting over in between the new episodes. Thank you both so much for doing this very awesome thing voluntarily. I wish you and your families a happy, healthy, peaceful, and fruitful new year. It feels odd not to ask you a question, so wouldn't it be cool to have an interactive bar-safe map that allowed you to filter cities, towns, regions of control by name-givers and dragons, but also include a timeline slider to show you the changes as you adventure for those of us starting out in the first edition era? I did find a French version, but didn't quite have the control I am dreaming of. Or maybe you are about to announce a massive multiplayer PC game that is in the early planning stages, and I can sign up for the alpha testing. Development assistance, Towelboy 4? Say no more. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. He said knowingly, I can wait until Fredonia Con 2023 for the great news. Keep being the best Earthdawn Survival Guide podcasters in the world, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Well, we are the only EDSG podcasters, so. That is kind of a cool thing. I'm not sure. I don't know. The idea of this kind of interactive map is an interesting one. I'm not sure about the the slider sort of stuff, unless you're talking about handling it on a much larger scale with regards to rather than just like, say, the development time from, you know, 1500, roughly the beginning of first edition oh, yeah. up to the present day. Um, I don't think there's enough sort of geographical change that would happen in that regard. But if you were to kind of go back in the timeline to before Scourge and stuff like that, eh, there might be some interesting stuff cool. that could be potentially come up with there. That is not something that we have the resources to go into, and I don't know how much actual value it would add. I know on my hard drive here, I've got the files that were used to generate the bar save poster map that was included with one of the recent Kickstarter campaigns. Vasgothia. Was it the Vasgothia campaign? I just got that map last week. And yeah, I picked up my copy at um, uh, Gen Con this past year. Mm -hmm. I don't think there is a version of that electronically online. Obviously, I have the files (laughs) on my hard drive that could (laughs) generate that. It's just one of those things that is on the list of, oh, yeah, I really need to get to that. But there are other projects that need more attention and other fires to put out and stuff like that. Yeah. With regards to a computer game, I know that a lot of people would really, really like to see an Earthdawn computer game, myself among them. That is not something that is in the cards that I am aware of right now. Video games are expensive. They're very expensive expensive to make, broadly speaking. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think possibly you could do something similar to what... Um, harebrained schemes did with the Shadowrun Returns games, which are not full-blown, immersive, cyberpunk 2077-style. Yeah, no kidding. Like the the big AAA, multi-million dollar, multi-year projects. Investment that that is. Investments. Earthdawn, at the moment, is not seen as a valuable enough property to make that worthwhile for any company to invest in. We have, I know, in the past received interest from people who are looking to develop a computer game, but most of these are fans who are like, if I want to see this, we kind of need to make it ourselves. But I don't know that any of them have actually come in with an actual business plan and budget that would make it worthwhile. Yeah. It's similar to like the interest that would potentially exist for a animated show or a movie or something like that if somebody is able to get actual money people involved in the production of some such a thing anything is possible but there hasn't been anything like that that's that's cropped up that i'm aware of fair however there is coming up at fredonia con an announcement that we are going to make so keep an eye uh, out for that because it's something that's actually been in the works for a little bit now and i'm Mm -hmm. kind of excited about it so keep an eye out we will we will make the announcement at fredonia con and there will be other sort of more public news related to that once that gets announced uh that's going to be in about a month so oh wow watch out for that 
Yeah, or a couple of weeks after this episode drops. <laughs> yeah, well, so we this is being recorded on the 11th of January. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be released on the 18th. So we yeah. will actually be like one month from FreedoniaCon when this episode drops. Look at that. Math. So... Okay, so we didn't know this this topic was going to come up today. We're going to do this one right now. This is going to take up the rest of the episode, so I'm going to give Josh all the room he possibly wants and all the time he can possibly have to go over the kerfuffle, for lack of a better word, of the... That's a polite word for it. It's a polite word for it. Uh, we're trying to be a family-friendly podcast. Of the open gaming license snafu yes. from Hasbro regarding D&D. Okay. So, okay. So, so I've been living under a rock because I've had other stuff going on. I don't know exactly what the what leaked out and exactly how it affects people and or the gaming community. So, lay that out for me first to begin your rant. Right. Soapbox on. I was going to say, hopefully this doesn't get too ranty. Rant all you want, man. But there are some things that I want to say with regards to this. I still feel like I'm not really anybody in some sense worth paying attention to in this regard, but I have been gaming since I was knee high high to a grasshopper as the saying goes. (laughs) Yes. And have been at least peripherally affiliated with the industry for going on roughly 20 years at this point. Fair call. You know, since starting with the little bit of work I did on second edition and then with red brick and stuff like that. Yeah. You've been a fan content creator uh, fan, content creator, convention participant, convention attendant, devourer of gaming industry news, yeah, collector of a many, shelf many full gaming of games books. behind you, yeah, <laughs> two six, six foot, foot bookshelves full that are in my office behind me, plus another like six foot bookshelf that's in yeah. my bedroom that's also full, yeah, plus other books in other parts of the house. That are kind of in wherever space could be found for them. And the last. And I think all my major, the Awakening books are like in the back spare room on top of the bookshelf up there yeah. because that's where they ended up. And the last bona fide I see is you do have D&D on the shelf right next to Earth Dawn. Yeah, I've got on my shelves here. <laughs> I've got books from first edition AD&D, mm-hmm. second edition AD&D, third edition Dungeons and Dragons, which yep. will become important here in just a moment. I could have sworn that I picked up at least the core books for fourth edition, but they vanished at some point and I don't know where they are. Fair. I've got some fifth edition books. I've also got the old basic Dungeons and Dragons set from yeah. the 80s, the red box, you know, basic expert. Yes. Both versions of that, the 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 blue box version and then the red box version that, that came out a little bit later. And a whole bunch of modules and supplements and whatever. Like, if I look at my shelves, there's like a good, like, three of the shelves, three and a half, like, four of the shelves on those bookshelves behind me yeah. are all D&D periphery, stuff. peripherally stuff going back 40 years. Yeah. So your bona fides are done. <laughs> so anyway, brief history lesson. In the 90s, TSR, the original publisher for Dungeons & Dragons, mm-hmm. was kind of going through a rough patch for... A bunch of reasons. I would recommend if you are really interested in the history of what was going on here, there's a couple of books that I think are really worth checking out. Slaying the Dragon was a recent release. It's sort of like the secret history behind TSR, and it's the end Mm -hmm. of its period of time. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard very good things about it. It is on my to-be-read pile. There is a fantastic book series called Designers and Dragons, um, which was written by Shannon Applecline. It is a currently a four-volume set, each Ooh. volume of which covers a decade of... D&D. Well, not D&D, oh. of oh. the gaming industry. Nice. It's basically a history of the various companies in the industry. So yeah. there's 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, I think, are, are the four volumes. Mm-hmm. And it goes through roughly chronologically, like the various companies, when they got their start... And the products that they put out are kind of in the book that's dedicated to that decade. Yeah. West End Games, for example, like their whole history, even stuff that is outside of the 80s is like in the 80s volume because that's kind of when they became big. So TSR has a huge section in the 70s book because that's when they got launched. 
Totally. Excellent series. I've read the whole thing. Really worth checking out. It's available in PDF. There might be um, print-on-demand versions, but really, really good. There are a couple of other books out there, but people who are interested in the history of the industry, whether with regards to TSR, Dungeons & Dragons, or not, that series is highly recommended from me. And not just because I am actually mentioned in it. (laughs) I am mentioned at the very end of the FASA chapter because it basically goes into the red brick stuff. Yeah, gotcha. When those were being published, it had just been announced. Fourth edition had just been announced. And so that gets like a little mention at the very end of that chapter. Anyway, so TSR was going through some problems for various reasons, part of which has to do with the way that book returns are handled and the fact that they had deals to have books in actual bookstores. And the way that bookstores handle returns are different than the way that those sorts of things are handled by traditional game stores. Um, And that was one of many factors, but one of the things that kind of led to a bit of a problem because a lot of stuff got returned that meant that TSR had to pay back the bookstores slash publishers. And one of the things about the industry is that quite frequently, the stuff you get paid for some books helps fund the next ones. And mm-hmm. so they had kind of problems getting that cash together to fulfill Continue. those debts. Yeah. And so there was a lot of stuff also that had been going on. Generally speaking, not a particularly great view of TSR as a company or Dungeons and Dragons as a game, particularly in the 90s when you had Shadowrun, Cyberpunk. Deadlands, Vampire, like you yeah. had this really fascinating sort of explosion of creativity and diversity in terms of games and systems and everything Yes, in that period of time. And TSR was, rightly or wrongly, kind of seen as a, as a dinosaur in some ways. Their treatment of Gary Gygax, man who had his own warts and so forth, a whole bunch of stuff went down. Mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast, who had released a couple of game books, game supplements. There was one called The Primal Order that they released a couple of books for. Uh, They were the company that put out the original edition of Everway, um, which was a game that was well before its time back in the 90s. That is a box that actually Dan can't see, but it is up on the top of the shelves behind me. Flush with cash from Magic the Gathering. Yes. Because Magic came out in the 90s and was a license to print money. Yeah, Yeah, no kidding. Which everybody... You know, not just Wizards of the Coast, but everybody who could put together a card game, a collectible card game, was doing so, so, including FASA with their Shadowrun card game, which was pretty decent. Mm -hmm. Basically, Wizards of the Coast came along and bought TSR and in a sense saved, quote unquote, Dungeons and Dragons. Resuscitated it. In the early 2000s, with the release of third edition Dungeons and Dragons Mm -hmm. from Wizards of the Coast, worked on by some big names that people would recognize like Monty Cook. One of the things that came out from that was what's called the OGL, the Open Gaming License. Yeah. This was essentially a way for Wizards to offload some of the development, particularly of things that tend not to bring in as much money, like adventures, to third-party producers. Um, Dungeons & Dragons, as the, the big dog in the house, obviously has this pretty significant gravitational field when it comes to the gaming industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. And there is some discussion about the true motivations behind it and whatnot. But long story short is that the OGL, the Open Gaming License, was basically saying, we will have a reference document that is open. You can use anything that is in this reference document, which is more or less the basic rules, classes, spells, Creatures and stuff like that. There were some that were held Mechanics. out as like product identity, like Beholder and, yeah. and some other stuff, but like sort of generic D20 Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And the idea was that anybody can use this material in here, provided that they release their own stuff under the open gaming license, which will then contribute to even more stuff in this collective pool of material that anybody yeah. can draw from to make their own stuff. And Provided you're holding to the terms of this license, yeah, we will not go after you for releasing stuff that is compatible with D&D. Yeah, legally speaking. 
legally speaking. And this was kind of important because TSR was somewhat notorious for being a little bit litigious when it came to how people dealt with making stuff that was compatible with D&D back in the 70s or 80s or whatever. Again, all covered in Designers and Dragons. But this was kind of like a big deal. And everybody jumped on board. Oh, yeah. I remember the glut of... Yeah. Released under the open gaming license trademarks. White Wolf. Yeah. Through their sword and sorcery imprint was actually the first company to put out a monster book for the game before Wizards even their own monster manual had been released. They got a a creature, the creature collection out, which I actually have a copy of. Yeah. Atlas Games put out adventures. There was a lot of stuff that happened, not only releasing D&D stuff, but also adapting or dual statting. Mm hmm adventures or stuff for other games you know call of cthulhu there was a like a a a d20 ars magica adventure that was put out basically a lot of tries for people to maybe get dungeons and dragons players to look at these other settings and other games by having ins with a system that they're more familiar with Mm -hmm. so this this was the the open gaming license sort of the launch of d20 which in some ways revitalized the gaming industry in one sense. Yeah, no, no argument. I agree. There was some good stuff that was put out. There was some not good stuff that was put out. As but again, because it was D&D, people were putting out adventures and their own settings and mm-hmm. supplemental material and new spells and new concepts and variant rules and all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. A lot of creativity, a lot of money flowing around. Again, similar to like the the early days of the collectible card game craze, it was a license for people to print money in some regards. Yeah, you could the- put out a compatible thing, and people would would see it on the shelves of their local game store, and they would buy it. Yeah. A few years after that, there was three point five, which was a revision to the third edition rules that made enough changes that two things happened. One. A lot of the stuff that had been released thus far was not as compatible anymore. Mm-hmm. And also because of how much stuff had been put out and the Ted Sturgeon rule of how much of everything is crap, yeah, people started getting gun shy about purchasing stuff that didn't really have a, a good reputation or good word behind it. Um, and there was kind of a, a collapse that happened. Once you have a big bubble like that, it's going to implode. Some companies continued doing their own stuff. You had some companies that really like took that opportunity to develop their own sort of D20 version of things. Mm-hmm. True 20 from Green Ronin, for example, which is kind of connected in and related to Mutants and Masterminds, which is their superhero game and a whole bunch of stuff like that. What happened was, and this is kind of a, a important bit of historical context, when D&D Wizards of the Coast went to fourth edition, which was Mm -hmm. a pretty dramatic overhaul. It wasn't like the three to 3.5 change, which was mostly compatible. There was just some like balancing and changes and stuff that was done. Fourth edition was a pretty radical overhaul in terms of how the game was approached. Some people really, really liked fourth edition. I am not familiar enough with it to really have a feeling one way or the other, but I, I think it was an interesting approach to things. Rather than being released under the OGL, there was the creation of, of the GSL, the game system license, which is, was quite a bit more restrictive in terms of what was allowed with the fourth edition material. Yeah. A couple of things happened. One, similar to what happened with the 3 to 3.5 change, the change to fourth edition was so radical that all of the 3.5 stuff was basically crap, worthless. Was well, yeah, was not worth anything because people who are going to be playing the current edition would not buy the older stuff. Yeah, it was not backwards compatible. It wasn't backward. It wasn't easily backwards compatible. Fair. There's a lot of a lot of work that would sort of need to be done to do that. And the GSL was quite a bit more restrictive in terms of what you could do, and so a lot of people generally did not go along with that change. And from that Pathfinder released by Paizo, who previously mm-hmm. had been doing the the magazines for Wizards of the Coast, Dragon and Dungeon, yeah, took the OGL and the SRD for 3.5 and basically released Pathfinder, which was kind of like a 3.75 mm-hmm. of Dungeons and Dragons. And for a little bit, because of the backlash and so forth that happened with regards to 4th edition, all those people who were upset at the edition change 
stuck around and, and either continued just playing 3.5 or switched over to Pathfinder. Pathfinder for a little while was kind of eaten D&D's lunch. There's a possibility that it was actually the top game for a while. Oh, it was. And the shelf space it took up was immense. Yeah. And they have released a whole crap ton of supplements and adventure paths and a whole bunch of stuff for that game. And and yes, God have. bless them, you know, they've been very successful and put out a lot of stuff. They've had their issues, as every company has. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, they have been pretty successful, basically being able to produce their own game. Yeah. That is similar enough and under the auspices of this open license that had been released. Fourth edition did okay, broadly speaking. Like, generally, I mean, it lasted for a few years. Mm-hmm. But then we switched over to the current edition of Dungeons & Dragons, 5th edition, which went back to the OGL. Yeah. That openness, coupled with the current day of streaming services and, and, and so forth, has allowed Dungeons & Dragons in its way to become even more of a cultural juggernaut in the gaming community. Yeah. And a lot of people who become sort of celebrities within that space, the folks at Critical Role, people like Matt Colville, um, and a whole bunch of other video content creators on on Twitch, TikTok, YouTube, whatever. YouTube are doing pretty well, creating their own stuff, and running Kickstarters that bring in million-plus dollars for books because yeah. of the audience that they have and and the recognition that they have as creators and celebrities such as it is like the dimension 20 folks with uh you know all sorts of stuff that's out that's out there so this was like fantastic like dungeons and dragons was back in a way and even bigger in a sense than it had been before yeah the merchandising all over the place now so now we come to the present day hopefully that 25 minutes of historical (laughs) context that's in case you didn't know any of that if you did i apologize I always feel the need to provide context well, because it's, nuance it's a, it's is important. It's a nice encapsulation no matter what. So towards the tail end of last year, Wizards of the Coast announced that they were starting community playtesting for what they were referring to as 1D&D. For lack of a better term, sort of a 5.5. It is going to be a update to some of the rules and the way that certain things worked, but backwards compatible mostly with the current edition. And there was some question and some potential anxiety or nervousness or fear about whether 1D&D, the, the upcoming edition, which I think is currently slated to be released next year in 2023, would still be under the OGL, mm-hmm. whether people would be able to continue to support the game the way that they had been with their own products and whatnot. Looking at this with 20 years, effectively, of the OGL and it having worked doing what it does and marvelously the people who sort of founded it, like created it like Ryan Dancy and so forth, those folks back in wizards in those early days, basically saying, yeah, the, and like one of the FAQs about it was, couldn't they change the license to do that? And the, the answer to that was yes, they could, but why would they? Because it would cause all sorts of problems. Mm -hmm. Well, lo and behold, lo and behold, it was, announced and I, and again I'm not going to I'm not worried about the exact timeline but basically there was an announcement that there was going to be an update to the OGL coinciding with the the release of 1D&D. Yeah. Um which some people are calling 6th edition who knows whatever. There would be an an update to it with questions the basic questions being answered. Yes, it's all going to be fine. We're making some changes to things because of changes to whatever that has been happened, but for the most part it's going to continue as it was. Well, One of the things that was mentioned early on, even before this most recent thing, is that people who made over $750,000 a year selling product that was under the OGL would need to pay a royalty. So that smaller indie people wouldn't need to pay money. It was just the the really big names. You know, the Matt Colvilles, the people who were pulling in one $1.2 million from a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what's going on. but But you smaller folks who are releasing your own stuff... Mm-hmm. You don't have anything to worry about. You know, we just want to make sure that if you are really like making a making a big successful company or making decent money. Yeah. What D&D started. Off of D&D. Yeah. By having hitched your wagon to, to fifth edition, you know, and you're continuing to do that, that Wizards gets their cut. 
which understandable. I mean, the, the DMs Guild on one bookshelf, which is a place where people can like put up their own stuff in PDF. And mm-hmm. it's even a little bit more restrictive because in the DMs Guild, you actually do have permission to use actual settings like Forgotten Realms or Dark Sun or whatever. But Wizards takes like 50%. Like it's a 50-50 split in terms of of what the the writer gets and what Wizards gets. You retain some rights, but Wizards holds a lot more of what's going on there. I don't really know a lot of the details, but that's kind of a thing. But apparently Wizards had been sending the new OGL 1.1 out to some of the more notable producers. Here's your advance notice. Here's your advance notice. This is what's going to be coming out so you can sign on. And we can sort of have this all going forward. The 1.1 OGL got leaked and it took a little bit to sort of get confirmed, but it's a pretty huge rollback and lockdown. There is some language in the 1.1 that's sort of trying to lawyer weasel potentially away the the previous version 1.0. And like claw back a whole bunch of rights and things like that. I am not a lawyer. Nig on the deal. I have not read the text, the leaked text of the of the new OGL. I have read some commentary. I have watched a couple of videos because this got leaked a week ago. As as we're recording this, yeah, two weeks ago. As you are maybe hearing this on the day it drops, yeah. There has been a huge amount of analysis discussion, hot takes, cold takes, angry takes, pushback, blowback, pushback, upset, all related to this. So I'm not going to address at all the legal aspect of things. I am not qualified to do so. The only thing that I will say is that at least short term, the only people who are going to win in this situation are the lawyers with billable hours. Because ultimately, (laughs) yeah. Whether wizards will be able to do what they're saying they can do or what they're trying to do with the way the new one is worded will get decided by a judge. Yeah. That's what's going to happen is that ultimately it's going to be decided by a judge. With my very limited understanding of copyright law and IP and various other things, which is a much more complex issue than most people are aware of. Oh, yeah. I can see a number of different ways that it can fall. And ultimately, it comes down to the judge that it gets in front of, the arguments that are made, mm-hmm. and things like that. I have no idea how it is going to fall out. And a lot, and nobody else does either. I was going to say, nobody else will either. For a couple of reasons. One, yeah. all that we have for the 1.1 right now is a leak. Yeah. The official license has not been released. Nope. It is possible that the final version that comes out is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Whether that is because they're going to change it in re- in response to this outcry, or whether the lead version was just an early draft that hadn't been completed yet. There are some questions about a number of things with regards to that. Again, I'm not going to get into all of it. There's a whole lot of discussion and so forth. Yeah. Here's the point that I want to come to. The Dungeons & Dragons community broadly and the third-party publisher community in particular, is rather upset with this decision. Livid, you might say. (laughs) From one standpoint, I can maybe understand why Wizards decided to make the move that they did. I think it's a bad move. I think it is a move that does not fundamentally understand the market and industry that they are dealing with. And the fan base. And to a certain extent, I mean, that's part of the, the market and the yeah, industry. Yeah, yeah. I think that there is a, a lack of institutional knowledge at Wizards of the Coast that doesn't remember what happened back with the change from third to fourth edition. There's a lot of speculation about what the actual motives are. I can't speak to that. I think it's possible that there are multiple motives involved in why they made the decision that they did. It doesn't have to be just one thing. It's likely that there are multiple things that are going on in terms of the business decision that they are making here, especially in light of some of the information that came out from the Hasbro investors call at the tail end of last year. 
this is information that's available every, any, everywhere or other places. I'm not going to get into it here because I don't remember the specifics and I don't want to pull it up and, and waste any more of Dan's time. <laughs> You're not wasting my time, man. To kind of finally try and land this plane. I think it was a bad decision. There are a lot of people who are fans of Dungeons and Dragons in a way that we are fans of Earthdawn. Yeah. That it is something that we love and cherish and are fond of and have a deep emotional attachment to. Lots of good memories with. Whether we've got people who are who are just new, like who've only been playing D&D for two or three years, or people who came back after being away for a while or whatever, you know, you've got a, a significant number of fans who are feeling understandably hurt, betrayed, angry, fearful, a lot of strong emotions potentially running around with this. On top of that, you also have quite a number of indie and third-party content producers mm, yeah, who have made money, not necessarily even made a living, but who have made some money and in some cases a certain amount of, of fame within that limited sphere associated with that. People who might have had projects that are halfway to completion and now suddenly aren't sure what to do. Without any kind of word from Wizards of the Coast, the only official statement that has come out since the leak mm -hmm. was a tweet on the D&D Beyond Twitter account. Again, I'm not quoting, but basically said, we know you have questions, we will be addressing them soon. That was, as of recording, two days ago. Nothing has happened since. since. No news is forthcoming, no press release, no statement. Nobody has indicated that they have been approached about revisions or changes or whatever. There hasn't mm -hmm. been anything like that going on. A lot of people are unsure what this means for them as content producers going forward. And because of the different legal interpretations that are out there, people are making different decisions as to what they're going to do. There are yeah. some people who are like, I'm going to continue moving forward because I don't think that the changes that they are bringing into 1.1 are going to invalidate the 1.0 that I'm using, and I'm not going to sign on to the new one, but I'll be able to keep using this old stuff. There are people who are like, we don't know what's going to happen, but you know what? We're going to put everything that's OGL on sale, and once it's gone, it's that's gone. It. Yeah. Because on the one hand, for 20 years, like this entire ecosystem, this entire corner of the industry, and it is a yeah. significant corner of the gaming industry, Yes, have been operating under the assumption that the OGL, while it might be revised, is going to be continuing forward, in part because the language in the 1.0 does say perpetual. Yeah. It does not say irrevocable, which is one of the lawyer questions that is kind of coming <laughs> out, and a whole bunch of other things. And so there are people like Kobold Press, which is a pretty notable third-party producer of 5th mm -hmm. edition material. Matt Colville, who's a notable YouTube D&D guy who does a lot of like advice videos and whatnot. Both of them have announced that they are going to start work on their own systems and yeah. potentially have those be released as open content. Whether there is a new open license that appears, this is a watershed moment in a sense in the industry. And it is not clear when all is said and done how everything is going to shake out. Again, trying to land this plane here. You're <laughs> First of all, there is not any threat to Earthdawn. Earthdawn, uh, as it exists in 4th edition, as it existed in prior editions, save for the Pathfinder, which I will address briefly in a sec, was never released under an open license, was no. never part of the OGL. So nope. there is not anything here that Wizards is doing that is going to affect what we are able to do with Earthdawn, either now or going forward. So no concerns there. There are some people out there who, on YouTube and whatnot, or Twitter or whatever, who don't know what they're talking about, because there are some aspects of the the new OGL and the, the fan content license that indicate that Wizards basically saying, if you produce stuff that is compatible, we can use it however we want. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to credit you or compensate you or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And there are some people who are taking that to the ultimate extreme and saying that what Wizards is going to try and do is crack down on anything that is RPG related, like character sheet or wow abilities or stuff like that. They don't have that kind of moxie. 
it would be very, very difficult for them to pull that off given the history of the industry and the sort of common use terms. Yeah. And again, I want to stress the the complexities of copyright and trademark and contract law, <laughs> that there is a difference between copyrights and trademarks. Mm-hmm. Unless you are actually paying uh, an intellectual property lawyer, a copyright lawyer or a trademark yeah. lawyer, if you are actually paying them a retainer to do the work and the research to figure out what the likely outcome of this is, or you are in fact one yourself and yeah. have enough of a practice history to have a, a good sense of what's going on mm-hmm. and access to the case law and all of that stuff, people don't know what they're talking about. Fair. When it comes to that, because I have interest in publishing and writing and game production and whatnot, I have a really, really basic layman's understanding of things. I know enough to know that I don't know anything. Yeah. We're basing this on hype, uh, hypothesis, hypothesis and conjecture at the moment. Right. And again, I don't want to get into what I think the likely legal outcome is because I don't have any idea. Nope. But basically, a lot of people right now are emotionally invested, angry, upset, betrayed, anxious, fearful, whether they're fans who are, are feeling that as a result of this sort of corporate overreach. Mm-hmm. People who have been gaming, like whose entire gaming lives have been lived under the OGL, and yeah. suddenly there's this radical change that's coming on, along with all of the content producers. Who are financially invested in this. Who are financially invested to a greater or lesser extent. Yeah. Are all upset and not sure what they're going to do. And the fear of Hasbro as the company that owns Wizards of the Coast and the larger pockets that they have when it comes to their ability to litigate what's going on. A guy who, you know, puts out a handful of adventures a year, while in theory does not make enough money to be of interest with regards to this, Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily know what's going on. And like I said earlier, people could have projects that are halfway to completion Mm -hmm. and suddenly they need to decide what they're going to do. Is all of that work going to end up being wasted? Are they going to need to can it? Are they going to need to go back and change things to some extent without knowing what the license is or what the SR, the upcoming SRD, you or know, even, might be even worse. Somebody who's gone to print and now is sitting on a stack of books, eating money, eating money in their pocket, money in their wallets. Right. So here's what I would say. First off, understand that even if you yourself listening out there don't particularly care for D&D, don't play it, the current edition or, or whatever, Understand that the people who do, especially the ones who are going to be sort of most vocal and upset about this, yes, care about D&D the way that we care about Earthdawn, the way that other people care about the games that they really love. Oh, dear, yeah. Even though there might be some things that aren't to your taste that you don't like, one of the things that I talk about on this show a lot is the understanding that different people have different wants and needs and desires when it comes to gaming. Mm-hmm. And you can get those from different games. And a lot of that depends on table culture and your group and stuff like that. And all of that is cool. I love Earthdawn. It is my my sort of greatest gaming love. But I've got a huge collection. More games than I will ever play. I've played a whole bunch of games. There are a lot of people who, as part of what's going on, have decided that they are done with D&D. And are either going to get out of gaming completely or are going to be looking for alternatives. And Earth Dawn is a game that they could look into. There is a possibility that you could evangelize or shill for Earth Dawn as something that they could come to as an alternative to D&D, because there are many things about it that are very familiar from a setting and concept standpoint Mm -hmm. to D&D. There are some things that are different, but... It is something that, from a certain standpoint, is may end up being a little bit more familiar than going with something like, say, the Trinity games from yeah White Wolf, yeah Onyx Path. It used to be White Wolf from yeah. now from from Onyx Path, or you know some of the the more indie games like you know Monster of the Week or Thirsty Sword Lesbians or Blades in the Dark, things like that. Mm-hmm. Be empathetic. If you have negative feelings about D anD D, I don't. I play D anD D with my kids. I've run it for them. We played in a a game pretty regularly. It had been on hiatus here for a few months because of of life stuff. I enjoy it. You know, it's it's fine. It's a perfectly serviceable game um, because in some respects, it is as much, if not more, the people that you are playing with than the game itself. Yeah. 
But if you don't care for D&D or you don't like certain aspects of it or whatever, be empathetic. Don't shit on what they enjoy. Don't be nasty at that. Absolutely, it is justified to be angry with Wizards of the Coast, to be angry with the company that has made this decision that is sending shockwaves throughout the hobby and the industry. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people, people that I know who are being affected by this. Yeah. And being awful to them, even unintentionally, because you are taking some sort of perverse glee, haha, because Earth Dawn is superior to Dungeons and Dragons, it serves them right that they made this stupid decision that's going to kill the game. And all of the people that play it and were fans of it are dumb for having invested so much. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's That's awful behavior. And if you had been listening to the show for the past 150 plus episodes, you would know that I think that is awful. Because it is. It is. There is no reason to be awful to people, especially when they are in grief, in Mm -hmm. a sense. Something that that is important to them has been damaged or destroyed in some capacity, and they are feeling because of it. You know, if they want to come and try other games to maybe feel better or to like get away from the negative associations that are now in place for Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, for God's sake, we talk about, you know, how great it would be if Earth Dawn could grow. You're not going to do that if you're going to be shitty and superior to these people. Agreed. They come in and you treat them like garbage. You know, you you treat them badly because you, for whatever reason, yeah. they're not going to stick around. The game's not going to grow. You can't crying out loud. By alienating people. <laughs> yeah. Look, in any community, in any fan base, you are going to have awful people. You are going to have bad actors and gatekeepers and people that take whatever they can to try and put themselves in some kind of superior position to others. That's awful. It's being a gaming bully. Life is hard enough. These are games. These are entertainment. It doesn't mean they don't matter. Mm-hmm. They matter quite a lot because especially if you've been paying attention to this world for the past five years, yeah, we've got to sometimes take our pleasure and enjoyment where we can. And I certainly do not condone or support anybody who is being awful to somebody who is in an emotionally damaged position because of something that has happened as a result of something that they care about. Look, when I was back in my 20s, I was a, I was a shitty person, okay? I was self-centered and egotistical and thought I knew better and didn't have much empathy at all. I am ashamed in some ways of, of the person that I was back then and the things that I did and, and the things that I said and the things that I believed. Oh, we can all look back on our teens and 20s and go, I should have been a better person. But that's what we do. We grow and we evolve. But we should grow out of that. We should learn and we should have empathy for people and empathy for, at least in my case, my fellow creatives Yes, in this industry who, depending on, you know, who they're listening to and where they're getting their information, are getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. Some of them have made decisions. One of the final, the final point I want to make here, and this has been brought up, I think, in many places, even if things get rolled back, even if 1D&D ends up back under 1.0A or a slightly modified version of that that rolls back a lot of the more egregious abuses of the leaked license. Yeah. So let's say they do a whole lot of damage control. If they want to do damage control, they have been awfully (laughs) bad at it so far because they haven't done anything. Agreed. At this point, they have irrevocably damaged themselves and the brand. They talk about wanting to build D&D into a lifestyle brand. You've got the movie coming out. You've got a TV show that was just announced by Paramount Plus yesterday Uh as we're recording this. The idea that they're going to potentially try and leverage D&D as an IP to have movies and TV shows and so forth to try and pull off the Marvel success. Yeah. Maybe, who knows, whatever. But that, that like, that's one of the goals that's in line here. But 
at least when it comes to the RPG community, they have irrevocably damaged the brand and the trust that had existed for the past 20 years with regards to Dungeons and Dragons. Even if they walk it back, people will remember you said for 20 years that you weren't going to do something. Then you tried to do something and you walked it back. How do we know that in another couple of years, you're not going to try again or find a new avenue of attack? And so that's why some of the bigger people are just like, we're done with you. Paizo is looking at ways to divorce Pathfinder 2nd Edition from the OGL so that they don't have to deal with it anymore. It's like you just cheated on your wife. Yeah. You mentioned the word divorce. That's what cropped in my mind is, okay, uh, congratulations. You just cheated on your wife. You're asking your wife to forgive you for this. You're like, uh, there's two answers to that. (laughs) There's only two answers to that. There are some people who will stick around and will stick with Dungeons and Dragons because it's their thing. It's all they know. And they may not really care about all of the stuff and the creatives that produce the product that they consume. That's fine. They're just going to play their game. But this story has escaped containment, as somebody put it online. We've had YouTubers who aren't devoted gaming YouTubers covering this story. It it, it hit regular news. Yeah. Earlier today, Cory Doctorow had like a 20 tweet long thread about talking about the Gizmodo article and kind of launching off from that, talking about what was going on with this. Legal Eagle the law YouTuber who kind of semi-specializes in like IP laws and mm-hmm. so forth, message Matt Colville and say, hey, get in touch with me. So mm-hmm. we might see like in another week or so a video from him. Yeah. You know, with his million plus subscribers. Yeah. This hitting like regular news and whatnot. This is big. And a lot of people are affected and a lot of people are hurting emotionally as a result of this. And just for fuck's sake, if you are a fan of Earthdawn, if you are a fan of this show, mm-hmm. you need to have empathy and understanding for these people. And if they come to Earthdawn, make them welcome. Find ways to have what they're familiar with worked into your game. Yeah. Run one shots. You know, local game stores aren't so much of a thing anymore. A lot more stuff is being done online. Wave the Earth on flag as a welcoming invitation. Yeah. Not as not you know, not as a knock knock knock. Have you heard of our Lord and Savior Earth Dawn? <laughs> no. The amount of mentions on Twitter for Earth Dawn in the past week has jumped tremendously because of the number of people who are like, oh yeah, this is another like fantasy game that's not tied into this at all that mm-hmm. might be worth looking into. We might Great. have people come in to do that. Yeah. Great. Yeah, just generally people be kind. It doesn't hurt you at all to be kind and empathetic to your fellow humans, especially when they are hurting, as people are in this situation. So there we go. That's it for me. Ultimately, this is going to probably be decided in the courts, or it could be a situation where everybody just goes, thanks, wizards. Uh, We're not going to do this, and we're going to go off and do our own thing and uh, have fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And the community, the the ecosystem, the culture that kind of grew up around this, yeah. I've got a lot of people who are very creative folks, might turn that creativity to other things. And it could bring about a whole new renaissance in a sense of game design and, and, and develop. We're, we're at the end of an era yeah. in a sense. Mm-hmm. When all is said and done, we don't know how things are going to fall out, but this is a this is a watershed moment. This is as big as 3.0 in the OGL was to begin 20 with. years ago. Yeah. Oh, one last thing. This is also, as someone who dabbles in writing and whatnot. Content creation. This is a textbook example of why it is sometimes dangerous to hitch your financial well-being to somebody else's stuff. Fair. Because that way you get more than one boss. Yeah. Because ultimately... You don't control it, and you are at the whims and mercy, mercy <laughs> of the people that do. I don't know. I wish all of my fellow creatives the best. It's rough, man. I I am fortunate that I am not directly affected by this in terms of it affecting Earthdawn and the work that we're doing on it. Yeah. But it is going to affect the industry more broadly, and it's affecting a bunch of people that I know and am acquainted with. And are fans of. 
and fans of, and I am not happy that they are in this situation. I think it sucks. And I think it is a decision that is being driven by people who don't understand the industry and didn't come up in this industry and either don't care or aren't aware of what they're dealing with and how the tabletop, the RPG hobby and industry is different from video games or board games. Yeah. It is like, but different. Completely different. No argument here. I was thinking about this all day because this, this got prompted by people starting to talk about this on the FASA Twitter. Yeah. uh, Not Twitter, the FASA Discord this morning. And I'm like, am I going to say something? I don't know if I want to say something. Well, okay. People are talking about it here. I'm going to say something and I'm going to keep it short because I don't want to like dwell on this too much. And yet here we are with an entire episode devoted to it because I needed to get some things off my chest. So I wanted Josh to have all this time to do so. So we didn't have anything else planned for this one. Uh, as I said, it came up at the last second. Thank you for saying that, Dan. Yeah. Earlier on when we were talking about this before we hit record, I was like, no, no, no I don't, I, what are we going to, like, we'll cover this briefly. No, because of <laughs> course I needed to provide all sorts of context for people who might not be aware of what's going on. Well, and I completely asked, understand everything. I asked for that because we do provide context on this show. And since this is the Earth Dawn Survival Guide, it's going to affect the industry as a whole which it's going to affect Earth Dawn downstream, probably. But we hope for the better that maybe we get some fans out of this. New consumers, new 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 fans to go new blood. You know, spread the word. Um, People potentially who have been writing and producing content for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. No longer wanting to do that. And maybe we can get some new writers and actually be able to pr- pr- uh, produce content a little bit faster. Yeah. Because we can get more people working on stuff. That's, yeah. that would be a good thing. That'd be great. But, you know, I don't know if that happens. And I don't know if, if people coming in to look at this to work with us in some capacity and look at the Earth Dawn fan community and go, oh, these are awful people. I don't want to produce stuff for them. I don't want to yeah. deal with them in terms of the lack of empathy or care. Mm-hmm that they are demonstrating here. Yeah. I do know I, I came across two of not as well versed on all of this as Josh has been in the last few days. I do know that the, uh, Kenzer and company who produces Hackmaster, those free sample rules have been downloaded a whole lot more the last three days than they ever have before. And I also know Monty cook games has cut the price in half of their cipher system rule book, uh, temporarily speaking, to, of course, draw as many people in who are abandoning D&D as fast as possible. So it's those are the only two that I know of. There have got to be more, just saying. And there are a lot of fire sales of people like knocking down the price of their stuff oh, to yeah. either move physical copies or to try and get as many sales on electronic copies yep. as possible before they might need to stop selling them entirely. Before the fit hits the shan, as they say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we believe in polygamerousness here. So by all means, yes. Earth Dawn first, Earth Dawn forever, baby, as Lou likes to say. But, you know, I play other games. Josh plays other games. You know, Earth Dawn can't be all consuming. So by all means, if you got somebody here who came over from D&D who wants to try something new, you know, wave the Earth Dawn banner them. flag welcoming, welcomingly. Please, please bring him on. But yes. Be nice, be kind. It costs you nothing other than your dignity and your self-respect. So I'm teasing. No, it does No, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm pushing back on that. I'm teasing. I think that, that yeah, I, I realize that, but yes. I want to make it clear that it does cost you nothing. Mm-hmm. In fact, one, being kind and, and, and being nice might get you a new friend, a new mm-hmm. person at your gaming table. Yeah. It can make you feel better about yourself. Yes. I don't understand the idea of of that being a negative in any way. No. No. If you can be anything in this world, be kind. Period. That's where it needs to rest. As Will Wheaton is fond of saying, don't be a dick. Yeah. I like Will Wheaton. All right. I'm done. <laughs> I got it out of my system. And it should not be spoken of here again until a question comes in. So if you do have questions for us about what you heard tonight or have an update for us, we might cover it again here soon. Don't send them in. Don't don't Look, overwhelm us. Don't, for pity's sake. Yeah. I am willing to entertain questions, but I am not going to turn this into OGL forum. An OGL 
thing. No. If you've got particular questions as it pertains to Earth Dawn, yes. fine. Yes. But I kind of answered that earlier. It doesn't. There is nothing that, that we need to worry about as Earth Dawn players or fans that this will affect in terms of what we make and, and what we have. No. Oh, I mentioned the Pathfinder version. Yeah. That would only be a concern if we were going to reprint the Pathfinder compatible Earth Dawn, Earth Dawn, which there are no plans to do so in any way, shape, or form. So it's not something that we need to worry about. Okay. Asked and answered. We're in good shape. So until uh, episode 156, folks, uh, go be polygamerous for your legend. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>